if there is no bell ringing, there's no hearing bell possible. If there's no bell ringing, it's it's impossible to hear the bell. So I actually need that bell to ring in order to hear it. But if um, the ear is gone, the hearing, the device is not functioning, then even if there is a bell ringing, there can't be hearing for a person right? if the if that sense is gone. In the same way, if there's no consciousness, if you're fast asleep, deep asleep, there might be the bell ringing, and you might say, oh, I didn't hear it. You know? Or if the mind is occupied, preoccupied, which sometimes it is in such a strong way, you don't know, my life is falling apart. Did the bell ring? <laughs> I was in trance, so taken. My full consciousness was taken, kidnapped fully by an obsession. So much so that I could even not even hear the bell. Yeah. And so these three, in Buddhist psychology, you need these three to have a moment of uh, moi, big magic show, it's called. Of like, I'm hearing. In, the, in this practice, a lot of what we do, I think, is a deconstructing of uh, preconceived ideas or con- concepts, like the concept of self. And we do it like li- really bit by bit. And that's why earlier I was saying, when we do this practice, we really need to actually calm the mind. The mind that is obsessive won't be able to do that investigation. But it needs a mind that has several qualities to it. It needs a mind that has some quiet to it, is not so busy that is curious and tuned in present time, mindful and curious about what's presently happening. Yeah. And so if some of these qualities are get together, then we can start deconstructing. And why would we deconstruct? Like, I'm happy with moi. Are you? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I think you're not that happy with your moi. <laughs> I haven't met many people who are. <laughs> <laughs> and when they are, anyway, they fear what's going to happen to it, to that construction. I've constructed a beautiful moi. What's going to happen to it? Will people see the beauty <laughs> and that moi? And so, by bringing together really beautiful conditions of mind, you know, like the quietness, the concentration, the stability, the non-reactivity, the mind is available. Like, it's really there for the moment. If it's curious about it, then it's energized. And then it'll be able to deconstruct that big magic show. And we'll notice how moments of con- happen like this. And how I might start with the concept, the idea, the, the, the kind of uh, firm belief, I would say, firm impression that it's me on one side and the rest of the world on the other side. And that's stressful because it's viable, but it's going to require a lot of strategy to make them meet together. And when I sit to meditate and I quiet the mind a little bit and I notice that actually sound and consciousness, they co-arise. They're not separated. You know, when I thought I was on one side and the sound on the other, the more I quiet my mind, I notice that they co-arise. Like the intelligence, the sensitivity to sound arise with sound, 
and disappears with it. Wow, that moment did vanish. When I add the whole thing from another concept or perception of me, staying me, and things going around me, and I have to align the ducks for things to go in order for me to be safe and happy, and suddenly it's a completely different world that slowly over time, maybe a few years, decades, lifetimes, there's a switch that happens. Oh, it's not about me and on the other side the world. We (coughs) co-arise. We co-arise together. It co-arises. How amazing is that? I'm not separate. When I felt fragmented and separated, and I want closeness but not too much, and if I get it, I, you know, I get attached and it's complicated, it's like, no, things co-arise. And then they vanish. They do vanish. You know, and the more I'm attuned, the more I'm curious about it, I'm going underneath my preconceived idea that, you know, the world that made me, everything conspired, we could say to make me believe that I was separate. And that's a stressful stance. That's the only wa- uh, reason why we address it, because it's extremely stressful for a human being to feel isolated and separated from the world. You know? And in this practice, we slowly, breath by breath, sound by sound, moment, conscious moment by conscious moment, we break the spell. We get and it's a positive term in Buddhist psychology, disenchanted. We're re- relieved from the spell we were under. We had taken the pill you know, <laughs> to take a, talk another language, and we had really like bought into a conceptual framework of the world. It was not reality, it never was, but it really felt like it and was... Uh, experienced like it, but it was just a perception, an angle, a mirage. The Buddha uses this image. And so what we do here is we deconstruct. But maybe we're very attached to the story. It it would make sense we would. Like, I don't want to do your thing of hearing sounds and I'm busy telling the story of moi, you know, and what's going to happen to moi, and the value of moi, the lack of value of moi or the amazing value of moi. (laughs) And it's obsessive. And I'm debating, because if I have an impression that that moi has no value, I'm extremely occupied trying to tell a different story. No, I do have value. I do have value. No, you don't. I do, I do, I do. No, you don't. Impressions fighting against each other. You know. And so here we actually loosen that uh, obsession. Or we treat it with, um, in a different way. You know, like, as I was saying in the meditation, maybe you heard me or maybe not, but <laughs> <laughs> you might have been busy with your own research or your own <laughs> obsessions. Hopefully it was your own investigation. But, you know, I said, what's alive right now? Notice what's alive and well. You know, maybe hearing is alive and well. Without you, it's doing fine. You know, without any you there, hearing keeps happening. It just does what it does. It's alive. It has its own life. So does breathing. I'm breathing. 
like remove I and breathing still keeps going, you know. And if there is consciousness at that moment there, like suddenly the breathing becomes known. Otherwise, most of the day it's unknown. You know, it's, there's no consciousness aware of it. But suddenly, ah, it becomes alive and vibrant. And what else is alive and well in you? And in, in us, sometimes it's obsession is alive and really well. <laughs> obsession is obsessing. It's doing its thing really well, you know. Or disparaging, is that a word? Mm-hmm. Voice is doing, is really, really agile and creative and, you know, formidable and disparaging. <laughs> Or anticipating, is anticipating really well, <laughs> you know. Or calm is doing its thing, and it's in action, and you can feel it. You, consciousness can become aware of it, that calm, or joy, or curiosity is on, and it's, it's tuning in, it's attuned, or it's attentive, it's meeting. And we can become aware in real time of the wholesome nature of some of the aspects of mind. They're not self. It's not me. I'm so curious. It's curiosity really making the field more rich. It's calm making the field more stable. It's, uh, I don't know what, yeah, equanimity, like allowing things to be without, you know, grasping or... Pushing away, it's just allowing. It's allowing discomfort. I know it's not my equanimity, it's equanimity. The natural factor of mind that is invited in the field and suddenly it makes discomfort or dis-ease possible. Oh, dis-ease, discomfort is doing its thing really well. This is really unpleasant to be in that leg or that lower back or that heart, you know, oh, this is, that's what's operating, that's what's alive, that's what's vibrant in a way, or hardness, or openness, this is how it is right now, it almost has nothing to do with moi, if there is a moi in there, it's going to be sticky, serious, scary, you know, if there's hardness and it's moi, I'm hard, I don't want to be hard, why am I hard, I'm always hard, you know. If there is hardness, if it's discomfort that is there, and the mind has enough wisdom or equilibrium to allow discomfort, then it's just discomfort. But if it's my discomfort, then it's scary, then I don't want it, then it doesn't work, it can't be allowed, you know. But if we ease on the selfing and eyeing and myeing and owning and appropriation and, and all this, and we just allow life to do what it does, then it's just discomfort. It doesn't describe me. I'm not fused with it. It's not, uh, I'm not identified. It's nature. And then it can be allowed. And there can be, in the same time, maybe space. Maybe something else can be alive. Maybe even joy. Not maybe. Even joy can be there. So that's kind of uh, 
what am I doing? Maybe I'm describing like one way the practice could be unfolding. Maybe I'm talking about the way it's unfolding in this system, the way it's understood, the, the path of this being here. What's been this practice? What is this practice? It's a slow, methodical, kind, hopefully joyful, at least some of the time, enthusiastic, deconstructing of a made-up, of a perception of what's happening. Deconstructing the way it's been conceptualized, organized, that is not that helpful and not that true. Yes, it seemed like it was all happening to Pascal, and Pascal was at the center of it, and poor Pascal, and grandiose Pascal, and what about Pascal, and you know how Pascal would be, and suddenly more and more it's like, oh, it has nothing to do with that Pascal thing, creation story. You know, it's just life happening, life happening. And notice how it is when you hear that in you, if it's like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> Fine for you to say, you know, if you were in my life, <laughs> you would be fused too. <laughs> With every thought, every emotion. Yeah. But the teaching seems to say that it's possible to actually uh, release. release. And the release is not that it d- disappears, it might. But it's more that we release the owning, the identification, the appropriation, the fusion. We allow stuff to be. So it's not so much me and my anxiety. It's anxiety is alive. It's doing its thing really well. Pressing, contracting. And one very important aspect, and it keeps coming back in the teaching, and so I keep coming back with it also when I uh, teach or share about the Dharma, is the ephemerality. One of the key aspects that's going to be liberating is noticing the ephemerality of events, phenomena. You know, a moment of hearing, the more we're quiet and attuned and perceptive, not in our ideas about things, we notice that every phenomena appears and disappears, kind of crystallizes, comes together, exists, is felt, and then passes. And actually, most of these moments, I don't seize or cling or grasp, you know, like when I was um, when I was coming here in the car, there was the news, so there was a contact with information and consciousness and hearing, you know, and a bunch of things were happening. And some of the news actually really made me laugh. And uh, and uh, can I tell you that's <laughs> now you're saying yes, but it's very tricky. <laughs> Was it yesterday? There was a was it a debate between conservative, yes. and so there was a French debate, yes. and so on Radio Canada, the French part, they they made a sample of the, of the debate, and mo- a bunch of people, I 
had no idea what they were saying. <laughs> so they were, look, Canada, right? I had no idea what they were saying. And they made the, the montage very funny because they choose. And they chose some people who had, you know, like, so you could, there was a sentence you could recognize, like, je prends des cours de français. And, mm-hmm. yeah, and it was beautiful. You were like, wow, there's an intention. There's something you're trying to reach out. <laughs> Some, there was actually no sense at all. Like the the the, the pronunciation was so. Anyway, I'm saying this to you. That's that's the country we live in. You know, it's part of it. It's let's not d- deny what's happening. You know, in this bilingual country. And so uh, so that moment anyway. That moment made me really la- laugh. And but I didn't hold on to it. And, you know, it, now it's gone. That moment is gone, and the news that was before and after that was probably s- sadder news, you know, uh, more difficult, uh, appeared in the mind, and it left, you know, or maybe it didn't. Maybe some some points stuck, you know, but uh, like I'm not like, oh my God, the moment of hearing in the car is gone. What am I going to do? You know, I didn't seize that moment. It's interesting to watch. Most of the moments, our minds don't grasp to. They allow them to be, and they're released, you know. But some, some ideas, some moments, although they go like everything else, the mind gets distressed about the going, you know. I expected it to last. But if we pay attention, which is the practice of meditation, if we pay attention, we'll see that not one thing lasts. It's a series of impressions arising and disappearing, you know. And we're touched by them. Some impressions, they come, and they're neutral. They don't leave any trace. Some impression they come, they're disagreeable, and the mind fears them or loathes them. And some impressions, they come, and they're pleasant. And the mind, you know, either delights, is touched, or if it's unwise, it will grasp, it will want to keep, it will um, get uh, distressed by. And so here in the, in, the, in the practice of meditation, we, we pay attention and we notice how simple things like a breath, an in-breath, exists only a moment and is vanished. How can that be me? This Now I'm talking about this, uh, it's information or reflection, we're thinking about this. But vipassana meditation, insight meditation, is a direct experience of it. The more the mind is quiet and attuned on, the more it will be shaken, touched by the disappearing nature of phenomena. And if we do this repetitively, we'll have what we call insight. Will be our vision, insight. In, uh, in French, insight is tra- uh, translated by vision profonde, vision pénétrante, like another viewpoint, a new viewpoint that is more aligned with reality than the old one. So vipassana is a constant correcting of our view of the world. It's going towards wise view. We call it wise view. And so by touching the ephemerality of things to actually notice 
that a sound disappears, that an in-breath, an out-breath, or what I call the breath, in and out, disappears, that a thought disappears, that a present moment is gone, the moment where we were sitting, meditating, vanished. The more we notice this, the more our view changes to a wise view. Wow. Things are changing. Changing. Passing. Disappearing. They last only the m- a moment of consciousness. What I like uh, also in these teachings is when the Buddha talk about the flickering nature of reality, and I talk about this here often, and I think it's good to actually name it again, because in our mind that creates uh, permanence, permanence, we think, for example, I'm there, I was there, I will be there, yeah? and uh, the other is there all the time, and the more we pay attention, we see how things flicker, how they appear and disappear, like the street behind us, or the sounds from the streets, while I'm talking, keep appearing and disappearing. And we fabricate duration. You know, there was a street the whole time. From the point of view of the human experience, the street is flickering. It seems like the Buddha was talking about this. The flickering nature of experience. The other, whoever that other is that counts for you, keeps flickering, existing and not existing in your mind. It's not always there. It's already extremely unstable. And it will only continue to reveal its unstable nature. Anything, and sometimes we carry things, we think they are there all the time. If we pay attention, we'll notice that we don't, they don't exist all the time. For example, many of you know that I'm HIV positive. Actually, I'm not always HIV positive. It's absolutely flickering in my life. When I thought I was HIV positive, solid, permanently, forever, all the time, that was really painful. I was stuck with a big problem. But by noticing that actually it appears and disappears all the time. It's not there, and suddenly it's there in a rapport because it's important because... This morning I went to the dentist, and the dentist was uh, had me fill a form like, "Oh, you hadn't filled this in 20 years, Pascal." And I know the doctor and the dentist knows because I've told them, but I thought, "Well, you know, maybe they forgot because it's been 20 years, <laughs> you know." But I wrote this, and suddenly I was a HIV-positive patient. You know, I, there was something that was alive. I wanted the doctor and the people around to be safe, so they need to know that information, you know? and so then it was alive. And then it disappeared for most of the day. And now as we talk, suddenly it becomes really vibrant. Like right now, I'm extremely HIV positive <laughs> talking to you about it. You know? But then it will flicker. I don't have to carry this all, t- all the time. I won't anyway. Even if I have the impression that I do, I don't. Because it vanishes all the time. So does your problems or the things you cherish. They are already flickering. And so is the self. The p- big problem of moi and what will happen to moi and is constantly arising and disappearing. And if I'm unaware of it, I'll think I have a big problem because death, you know, there'll be the disappearance of moi. Well, moi was f- 
shaky the whole time. <laughs> was appearing and disappearing the whole time. And the more I'll notice this, the more I'll relax. Oh, okay. It was already arising and passing. You know? But this, clearly, I can't change that vision just with receiving information. Okay, so Pascal said it. Clear, we could all go. It's not like that, huh? We can see it. It's like, yeah, I kind of understand, but it'll need a little bit more to convince me. What is the little bit more? The little bit more is insight, is high quality attention to notice for oneself the flickering nature of reality. And then we'll see how it impacts the heart, how it releases the stress. Because the view changes. As the view, the understanding changes, the heart can relax in reality. As long as I'm in the false reality of moi, moi all the time, and moi until that moment where moi is going to be threatened, you know, that's very stressful. But as I notice the flickering nature of moi and in everything else, then I can relax. So, wow, what a strange world we live in. Not the one that I've been presented with, you know, not the one that I've people have described to me in culture and advertisement <coughs> and you know it's what the Buddha called going against the stream and so this practice of paying attention is only to reveal the true nature of reality it's flickering nature and also it's conditional nature how things don't exist sep- separately, as I was saying earlier, that it needs the bell for the hearing of the bell to happen. There, These things are linked together. And that everything seems to be linked together. We absolutely prerequisite. Uh, is that the way you say it? Mm-hmm. When you, if you want to come to this class, you need to have done this or this before. What is that? A pre- prerequisite. Mm-hmm. We all agree on that. <laughs> so the prerequisite for this class is uh, the Big Bang. If you <laughs> haven't been part of the Big Bang, you can't be here. It's an uh, absolute prerequisite. If there was no Big Bang, there's no class. <laughs> and so, and everything else that happened in the world, it seems almost, you know. There's millions of years of conditions and and today's conditions you know if there was a little bit more ice on the sidewalk or that maybe there would be half of us here so we exist anything we experience is totally linked with the rest of what's happening and so and still this impression that I'm separate that I'm alone that I've been dropped on the planet and I have to survive by myself, that I'm isolated, intrinsic, essentially other than the world. That impression is painful. And I'm trying by all m- ways to actually recover, ch- you know, contact through going on trips, falling in love, having babies. Like I'm trying on all different ways to feel a link, you know that actually was there the whole time. It was just not uh, 
I had been conditioned to not see it. And so here we're paying attention so we can make the link again and notice that we're in nature, we're not apart from it, we're an expression of it. Now this is just words, word that maybe you would think like, oh, I believe it's, I hope it's true. I want it to be true. I want to experience it. But we have little veils, little belief systems, views. They're uh, erroneous, erroneous, erroneous views. And so we're correcting this here, one breath at a time, one moment of attention at a time. It's wise attention. Instead of being obsessed with later and with stories of later or before, stories told in the mind, instead of having our attention being hijacked by all the things we think about, obsessively or habitually, we actually take a break and we bring our attention to a wise domain, the domain of phenomena happening now. Dhamma vichaya, investigation of presently arisen phenomena. And we notice that presently arisen phenomena, such as hearing, such as sensing, such as emoting or feeling or thinking, are phenomena that are uh, ephemeral, existing, non-existing, and coming together because conditions are right. Like pain in the, for me in this feet right now, appears because I've been sitting for almost an hour. The more I'm quiet, the more I'm like, oh, I can feel this thing forming. It's forming out of the conditions. It's totally a result of the conditions. You know? Or if the shame comes, or if the joy comes, it'll be conditional in some way. Conditional to, I don't know what. You know? Some calm comes to me, for example, when I teach... If calms comes to me, often it's because I'm with a group of people and there's this dedication and I recognize and so there's something wholesome. The sitting in the mind quiets down. It gets a little more tender because of the situation. It recognizes, oh, Dharma time, quieting time, paying attention time, you know, and then it does quiet. You know, it's conditional, not separated from life. Questions, comments. Wait. Well, I was thinking about your uh, saying about being HIV positive, and I think, well, I, I think I'm, I, I believe I'm A blood, but I haven't thought of it for years, so I don't really remember. Well, am I not A blood because I haven't thought of it? Yeah, no, no, there's two reality. Like, from the point of view of uh, science, like if we had the people from science here, they could confirm to us that the street stayed there the whole time. <laughs> you know? Or that you were still A blood the whole time, you know? And that I was HIV the whole time. But what's, I think, I hope I'm not mistaken, but I think that what the Buddha is teaching about is from the point of view of a human being. Is not talking so much about the nature of reality. This is how the world started. And he's not into this. He's into suffering 
human beings and, and human beings uh, lessening or reducing completely uh, their suffering. So he's really interested <coughs> in the experience from the point of view of a human being. <coughs> and so for me, uh, you know, if I have a financial problem, and I think it's always there, it's extremely heavy. If I notice that the financial problem actually disappears here and there for a few seconds, mm -hmm. is actually light and ephemeral, and I need to take care of it in the same way that I do need to take care and be really responsible with the HIV. You know, I, what I'm suggesting is not like irresponsibility. Oh, you know, it's flickering. <laughs> we don't, I, tonight we don't mind about it. <laughs> tonight we don't, no pills and whatever, you know. No, I have to be, you know, it arises sometimes like, oh, here's, you know, it's time to take the pills. So one has to be responsible, you know. But I don't have to carry it all day. Like I don't have to carry my whole life all, you know, all day. Or in this moment, carry my whole life. And sometimes we have these impressions that I need to carry the rest of my life right now, you know. I live with this disease of the heart or disease of the body or, you know, whatever, old age, and I have to carry the rest of my old age today or now, you know. No. Now you have to go down one step, you know, that is hard to reach and, and I see. You know, this is, this is what's happening. And then it's gone after, you know. So in the world of concepts, things are made solid and permanent and have a lot of duration, you know. And that's the, we live in the world of concepts, you know. Moi, moi back then, moi in the future, and everything else, you know. <coughs> but in actuality, in experience, really from the point of view of the experiencer, from the experience, it's much more, it can be much more light than that. That's... I think that's what it's suggesting. I'm a human being. I'm a, be a changing human being. I'm not fixed. Yeah. 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 Like, uh, you know, when we have uh, these kinds of beliefs, we might, some problem arises, and you'll think, yeah, with this kind of uh, problem, this is what I do, this is how I am, this is only what I'm capable of. You know, in that, that kind of situation, this is what I do. I go rough, I shut down, you know, this is how I am, I won't be able to do better with this. This is who I am. You know, that's solid, that's <coughs> a concept, you know. But a curious, stable mind, meditative mind, might come in and say like, wow, that's scary, I actually don't know what to do with this. But let me feel it a little bit more, you know and opens up a space of creativity, of possibilities, of new visions, you know, like, oh, actually, I'm not reacting as usual. I'm a little bit more confident, I can feel that, or a little bit more willing to be with that problem. I don't need to shut down this time or right now. Maybe I will later, but right now, I'm actually okay. I can meet that, you know. And that, oh, so I'm not who I thought I was, you know, this... It's more, much more alive than that. And here, especially with this practice, we invite a lot of really, really wholesome qualities of mind. They're developed in the, that field. This is the rich field to grow balance, to grow honesty, to grow um, uh, ethics, integrity, values, you know. 
and they become really vibrant and alive. You know, when usual, usual when I'm in reactivity, they go out of the window. You know, I forget respect when I self-respect or respect for the other, depending on my tendencies. You know. But if I'm tuned in, I'm attentive, I'll remember. Ah, I need to not forget this being here. I used to usually forget this being, but I need to remember that they're here. Or, oh, I usually forget this one. <laughs> I need to remember that they're there too. You know. Something's happening for them. You're talking about being like vibrant or reactors. Like how... Uh, it's like I, I'm saying it like a duality, it's making two different things and it's to wave in, in that or like I don't... Uh, Between reactivity and in, stability, let's and, say. And, uh, and like on joy and sadness. Like yeah. What, uh, I can say what's me in there, you know, I... I I feel that you're. I know I, I have to let the sadness come, or let, I feel that I let the sadness come all the time. I don't. I have problem with letting the joy come, so I'm struggling. Uh-huh. So. so let me see. So joy and. And sadness. So, uh, what what to do? Could it, could one of the questions in there be what what do I do with sadness, for example? Could that be one question? Yeah, well, I I feel that um, you know, like what I get here, I have to uh, you know let go and feel and you know be open and. Uh, Got stuff there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, that it's not that, that easy to let go of. Huh? Yeah, uh, but I I do let go of stuff, but I guess they comes back. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're not alone. <laughs> yeah. So let me see. Maybe I'll say something that's going to be useful. Maybe not. Uh, so there's many things in there. So the practice is not, as I understand it, is not so much of letting go, but letting be. So let's say sadness comes. So I would be aware of the sadness. and (coughs) It's a lot about the relationship to what's happening. So usually maybe when sadness comes, I spin with it. You know, like, oh, things never worked for me. Things will never work. So I might actually go, leave with sadness, be entranced by it, follow it, you know. And in this practice, I become aware of what's presently arisen. So I, I stay really aware that there's sadness here. It shows up as heaviness, as a desire to tell a story that has a certain tone to it, that is a certain story. So I, be, I try to stay aware of it, aware of it. So it means a lot, maybe aware of the physical sensations of it, or aware of the tone when usually I would actually depart with it in the story way, maybe. Or in the, in the, in the tone, there would be, uh, when there's sadness, maybe things appear heavier or more hopeless. If I bring in that factor of investigation that I talk a lot about, 
I would just try to become aware, like, wow, how do things appear here right now? They appear hopeless. Hopeless is like this. Let me actually become really awake, or um, almost like you could think of a professional, like really knowing a lot about the, the taste, the feel, the look of hopelessness or sadness. Let me be awake to it. And if at another time in your life, which I suspect happens, and I think you described that, it's actually not in operation, not there. The instructions of the Buddha is when sadness is not there, notice its absence. Ah. It doesn't appear as heavy. Like I was really there when it was heavy. I, I'm, I felt the heaviness, really. I was not just uh, not wanting it or being... Um, Bring brought down by it, I was really aware of the heaviness or the hopelessness. And now, as I'm actually feeling this morning or in this moment, it doesn't have that same feel. So that I can, inside, Vipassana, be touched by the fact that actually, when it did exist, it was very convincing, convincing, it seemed really real. But now that I'm awake in its absence... I didn't have to let it go. It's just not there in that particular moment. Then I can notice that when it's not there, it's actually so interesting that it's so not existent. I cannot be hopeless right now. It's not hopeless. It's neutral. Maybe it's not hopeful, but it's not hopeless. It doesn't have that particular taste right now. So the Buddha's instruction is notice the presence and absence. If the mind is sad, it's not like let go of sadness, you know. It's notice what it's like to be sad. Become really aware of the effect, how it uh, operates, how it uh, manifests. Become interested. When you do that, you're actually, instead of feeding, you're actually questioning. It's a completely different rapport with sadness. You're actually interested in sadness rather than following it. So there's a huge change happening in the heart-mind right there. It might not be felt in time because sadness is there. It feels sad, you know. But we're inducing a little bit of mindfulness, of a mind that doesn't buy into it, doesn't reject it, is interested by the phenomena presently arisen. So you don't have to get rid of it. Just notice if you can feel it. Yeah? So that's one, one thing. And I would say one thing that is really helpful, and that requires maybe a little bit of practice and a little tiny bit of mastery, is that when there's sadness, my practice, if it's a sadness that is like a going downward, like can take me in its vortex, my job then would be to notice that there's sadness, that is a sadness that has a, a charge to it. It's pulling me. It's pulling the mind in the direction. Then I would, uh, if I have a little bit of tools and, and uh, skills, I might be able to actually pay attention to something else that is also happening, that I'm not noticing because I'm caught in the vortex, the charge, the... the uh, intensity of the sadness is like oh and then what I'll do is I'll be okay there is sadness there's this pulling or this encompassing or however it's I'll notice that and then I'll notice what else is happening 
And personally, I've gotten good at that. I was not good at that at all. I had no skills at that. But I can see, and I'm saying this just to say, a human being can develop that. I've, I've, I've seen this in others, but also at first person. Is now I can say, yes, there is a big reactivity. For me, it could be impatience. It could be an opinion. Like, I can't believe they just wrote this to me. Who do they think they are? And I'll notice strong reaction. Oh, you could really go with this one. You know, like, <laughs> it could really take you on a trip, you know? <laughs> and so it's there. I'm not denying that it's there. But what else is happening? My hands are touching my knees. <laughs> this, too, is happening. And I like this to do this. I like to do this now. I'm like, yeah, you have a strong reaction. Oh, Pascal, you're insulted. Your ego has been hurt. You know, you don't like the way they're presenting you, this person, you know, or on, you know, whatever. You know, okay. So this is really there. This is really there. I'm, I'm, I'm being playful a little bit, but I, it's really there. When I really take care of it, it's tender. What else is happening? The sounds in the street. This too is reality. So I'm actually bringing stability to the mind, which is it's, it's coaching itself to say, yes, there is this phenomena, but it's not the only one. It's really intense, and usually I would go with it and be absorbed and fascinated by it. But now I'm saying, what other phenomena are there? There's hearing. Oh my God, there's hearing. This too is there. What else is there? And then sometimes I notice, oh, there's actually care. There's hurt, but there's a lot of care also that is there. I really want Pascal to not be hurt, and I don't want to hurt back. That would be a tendency, maybe. Could like, okay, you, this is what you say, let me say that then. It'll be even more harmful and subtle than your little <laughs> sentence. You won't even be able to give me feedback. <laughs> this is too intelligent for fe- feedback. You'll, be, you'll have the hurt, but you won't be able to tell me that you've been hurt. <laughs> you know? So I could easily go in that field, cruelty. You know? I could go there, but there's something else that I might notice. Oh, there's a lot of care. Want to want no one to be hurt more here. You know? And so things like this. And the physicality, the senses are very helpful for this. What else is happening? So there's big hurt here. Just being, you know, somebody just went like, by the way, you know. Okay, so this is there. What else is there? Well, in the hands, it's not sad. In the hands, it's not hurt. In the hands, it's just tingling. It's cold or warm. You know? And so in this way, I balance things a little bit. And when I have the balance of the hands, I can go back in the hurt. Yeah, yeah, it's really hurt. Ah, it's really damaged in there. It really hurt, that sentence. Let's breathe into it. Oh, breathing is happening. So that's the kind of skill. It's not easy, but it's definitely doable. So I hope these few words have a little something. I was reflecting as this came up and as you were speaking that whatever it is we're suffering with and that's making us sad is often in some some people results in an extreme tension. So is that true for you? Because here, like I'd like, um, the way I view things here is... Um, is as and when we speak as a, as a, a student or a practitioner, it's I think it's better to speak from self, yeah. 
from that point of view. So for me, often when there's sadness... For me, when there's sadness, yeah. sometimes there is, um, and it's been in different countries around the world, there's a point where I think, I can't take any more of this. Yeah. I can't take any more of the confusion of yeah. learning different languages, of trying to figure out where, where I belong. And yeah. So you come to this point where you want the suffering to end, and you think the only way the suffering is going to end if, is if I end. Is if you know we come to this point where we think, well, suicide is the only answer, and that's a very interesting thing for two reasons. One is, well, that's the bleakest end of that was the end of the story. It's like an event boundary, and it's a scary thought. You think, oh, maybe I'm going to go drown myself or take, you know do something terrible and mm-hmm. hurt myself and kill myself and you know it's fearful but people will sometimes or I I tend not to but because <laughs> I'm still here you sort of say I'm not going to be afraid of that thought I'm going to give myself permission to to do actually do that I'm going to end this story now and then I'm going to go and make a cup of tea so what I do is I I, I say here's all this suffering, darkness, and sadness, and why does it exist? It's because I see this other wonderful fiction that I would prefer to be living, this dream that I have of a happy life, an ideal life, that is unchangingly forever happy. I just want that, and I'm attached to the idea. And I think, how magnificent that I can be so depressed because I'm such an idealist and I see all these great possibilities. That's one thing. The other thing is that you reach the event boundary. The boundary is the permission to think those thoughts and to say, okay, I've had enough of this life and this suffering, so I'm going to go and do something else. So it's helpful to have a practice of moving from place to place beyond the event boundary that this the sadness is because it is an event and it's unfolding or it's like a wave washing up the beach and it'll and there you go and then the wave's gone and then you're on the beach and where's your tea you know so it's what do you, how do you practice in a way that keeps you rolling up the beach like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here the suggestion is the practice is to notice what's mm-hmm. felt, allow it to be felt. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, maybe bring a lot of also a lot of kindness in, a lot of uh, care. And also it's a skills that needs to be developed for us. Mm-hmm. And so we there's you know that's it's a skill building. So maybe that's one thing I would add is it needs uh, when it's hard to be inside oneself because of hurt, because of sadness, because of confusion, because of separation from what I want. It's always a good, if it's possible, to bring a lot of kindness to recognize this is hard to be this being right now. So that's a really good ally we might have, and sometimes it's available, sometimes it's not. But in practicing together, I think that's one thing we can help. Uh, build in the, our personal field is the capacity to uh, actually say, oh, it's really hard for you, you're hurt, you're confused, it's really hard. 
that that has a that has a lot of uh, positive effect. I think the capacity to care. So it's not something you mentioned, but uh, maybe I'll just go. I think there was somebody here. With, uh, no, it's good. Okay, good. Okay, I see that there is uh, only a few minutes left. Maybe we could practice together, like for the last ten minutes or so. Just. Uh, just try to explore this see if we can explore this in real time so what's here what's here now so often we think in meditation we have to um, kind of clear the slate and be somebody else and feel something else but, but we don't actually we can really start with what's there, if there's some leftovers here of something said or not said, or some ways that you were touched. There's something alive in you. Or maybe it's very quiet or neutral. Can it be okay that it's like this? If there's something unresolved. if it's spacious or disconnected can it be known that it's like this right now that's what's alive in operation So whatever is there is, uh, I think, is worth being felt, being known, seeing if it can be allowed. What I mean by that is uh, the mind not getting too reactive, just seeing if it can allow. The mind is vast, the heart is vast space. Probably can allow what is there to be there just now. might be reactivity, it might be quietness, just hearing. And is it possible to not make it such a personal business, to just allow nature, the universe, to take this form right now.
Now name a few of uh, the factors of mind or heart that are known to be really beneficial and see if they're present or absent right now. No judgments, it's just factual, just if you can recognize this. Is there uh, some uh, quality of attention in the mind? Some presence to what's happening? Either felt in the body or in the heart? Is there the presence or absence of some kind of uh, curiosity about what's presently arisen. Some interest to know it, to feel it. Either to know the breath or hearing or the state in there, be it pleasant or unpleasant right now. Is there some amount of kindness, benevolence, friendliness? Compassion or tenderness? Finally, is there some amount of uh, equanimity, means balance of mind, shows us uh, some stability, some amount of stability, capacity to allow what is there to be there, without being totally disturbed or perturbed. Maybe it shows as a space or being centered. Some quietness might be one of the signs of equanimity. Even if there is something unresolved that is alive, feeling unresolved after this talk or these days, is it okay? Can it be okay that there's unresolved?
and see if you can allow something of the physical world to be known through hearing or touch to be fully known the hands touching Notice the aliveness of what you're encountering, the aliveness of the hands or the breath, the aliveness of hearing. practice help us uh, develop inner clarity and respect and uh, inner freedom This is the form it took today. Look at that. And it's already dissolving. Okay. Thank you very much. I wish you a good uh, week. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.